the one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. The only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLSEMP. Welcome in and good afternoon to you. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, and we're here with you for the next hour this afternoon talking about White Sox baseball and continuing to chronicle the offseason as we move through it. Can you believe it? We are uh, less than a week away from Thanksgiving. The GM meetings have gone. The winter meetings are on the horizon. I mean, this is an offseason. It's absolutely getting set to explode, and the White Sox could be a massive part of that. Should things go uh, one way or the other, this team uh, looking to uh, looking to make a, a difference in this offseason going into the 2017 year. A lot to come here on the show this afternoon. A good one for you. Uh, Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago is going to join us and talk about the many different trade rumors that are circling around, both uh, connected to the White Sox and elsewhere in the division. Took a look at uh, want to take a look at a couple other things that have gone on. Uh, throughout the uh, throughout the AL Central and how it may impact exactly what the division looks like once opening day 2017 arrives, there's a chance that a lot of clubs, maybe other than the Indians, that the White Sox, that the Tigers, that the Royals, and maybe other than the Twins, that those three teams could look a heck of a lot different than they did in the 2016 or for 2016's opening day. And, and we'll look at some of those odds, some of those chances, and exactly what the White Sox and what those teams might be up to as well. First and foremost, or right off the top here, I want to let you know that you can give the gift of White Sox baseball this holiday season. White Sox holiday packs include ticket vouchers redeemable for 71 great games in 2017, and they start at just 40 bucks. Each order is shipped with a decorative card and commemorative White Sox ornament, uh, complete with the official team colors and logos, as well as festive red stitching. Visit whitesox.com slash holiday packs. That's whitesox.com slash holiday packs for more information or to order yours today. Uh, that said, okay, so we've got you Dan Hayes. That's going to come up right about uh, 12, 15 or so here on the show. We will also, and this is pretty cool, our partnership with uh, with the Bulls here on WLS allows us access to a bunch of different things. And Chuck and Bill... And uh, Steve Cash will do a fantastic job on the broadcasts uh, for the Bulls games and for uh, and, and for the podcast that they do as well. And we've got, through the magic of radio and podcasts and everything, uh, we've got a little bit of Chuck Swirsky, who does the play-by-play and does a great job of it for the Bulls, having a conversation with White Sox chairman and obviously Bulls chairman Jerry Reinsdorf. We'll bring you some of that towards the end of the show. It is a really cool uh, listen back, look back, as it were, at, at, to the, the very beginnings of, of Mr. Reindorf's, Reinsdorf's uh, ownership of the Chicago White Sox, exactly how things got started. Uh, and there are a lot of, I don't know, just a couple of really cool old stories. You know, guys that, you know, names like Chuck Finley come up and George Steinbrenner come up and a lot of talk about the 83 White Sox that, uh, that, that Jerry was so fond of and that Chuck actually is, is pretty fond of too. Um, a couple of names of real old players, some infighting between owners, you know, just kind of stories from the last 30 years or so or even more of uh, of life in baseball for Jerry Reinsdorf. And we thought we'd bring it to you here 
uh, since we're you know still waiting for the the massive, the big, you know, potentially large news of this offseason, everything just kind of getting set and, and teams getting their ducks in a row. I figured this is a good time as any to bring it to you. As always, in case you're uh, driving around on Saturday afternoons, and I know a lot of everybody is, um, you can find the podcast on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Head over to the website there and check out all of our interviews and past shows. You can follow us on Twitter at c one McKnight. And you can get involved with the show. You're always welcome to give us a call. We want to talk White Sox with you. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on the show. A couple of uh, news and notes that I want to get to here before we uh, take a quick break and get to Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com. White Sox made a couple of changes to the 40-man roster. Adam Engel, Brad Goldberg, and Jacob May have all been added to the 40-man. The White Sox had two empty spots on the 40-man. The teams had to protect guys on that 40-man roster just the other day. So the White Sox have made their uh, additions and changes. Uh, Brandon Brennan has been outrighted off the 40-man and to Charlotte. Engel, you'll remember, was, uh, a, had a huge Arizona Fall League this past fall. Struggled a little bit in the minors this past season, but at Birmingham, which is a tough place to hit, we've seen a lot of White Sox prospects hit a little bit of a roadblock and, and need to kind of overcome uh, a tough offensive environment. It happened to Tyler Saladino. It happened to uh, Carlos Sanchez. So we'll have to see on Adam Engel, um, but certainly a uh, one of the better prospects in the White Sox organization. Uh, Jacob May, who is an outfielder and a good one at that, a guy who would have been on the White Sox roster this past season had it not been for his getting hurt. Uh, once Austin Jackson went down, Rick Hahn even said after that injury that Jacob May, who had just gotten hurt a couple of days before, was likely going to be the guy called up and given a little time out in center field. He is a very good defensive player. Uh, the bat's coming around a little bit, so it looked like it was going to be his chance to see what he could do. Uh, turned out to not be the case as May sat for most of the rest of the year. Uh, the minor league development staffs have been announced as well. Uh, Mark Grudzelanek will uh, be the manager at AAA Charlotte. It'll be the first season with the White Sox organization. He's been the last two in the Diamondbacks organization. Uh, a couple other changes. Julio Vinas goes to manage AA Birmingham from AAA to AA. And Willie Harris, who we talked with, and actually we, we rapped with Willie uh, at, at Sox Fest this past winter, and hopefully we'll do it again this winter. He's going to have a, a little bit more serious job. Goes from hitting coach to manager at uh, at the Class A Winston-Salem level. So congrats to Willie Harris on his new gig as well. Those are just a couple of the additions. We'll go through some of the uh, some of the dates of import that are coming up for the White Sox and a bunch of other teams. We're going to step aside, though, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll head up to the phone lines and talk with uh, Dan Hayes, CSNChicago.com, and get the latest on the uh, hot stove that's perking up here in Major League Baseball. I'm Connor McKnight. you got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. That was the voice of Chuck Swirsky. He does the play-by-play for the Bulls here on this very same station. And you'll hear from Chuck a little later in the show. As we mentioned to start things off, uh, Chuck had a sit-down with Mr. Jerry Reinsdorf. So uh, you'll hear a couple of minutes of that conversation, talking about his getting into the ownership group for the White Sox or purchasing the White Sox and exactly how the early years of, of that whole uh, organization or the organization started under the stewardship of Jerry Reinsdorf. Soxfest 2017 runs January 27th through January 29th at Springing Ballpark Fund at the Hilton Chicago. You'll score an autograph or photo with current players, coaches, and White Sox greats. Your favorite areas are back with an interactive space to play games, win prizes, and shop for team gear. 
It'll be a weekend of White Sox baseball you won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available now. Visit whitesox.com slash SoxFest for tickets and more information. A lot of rumors popping up this way and that, and a lot of them concern the White Sox for fairly obvious reasons, and ones that we've been talking about um, really uh, over the last two months of the the regular season of the 2016 season and into the off season. It would be a good idea to get the, uh, the thoughts of a gentleman who was at the meetings in Scottsdale a couple of weeks ago, ran into him, knows a, a good place to get a beverage or two in Scottsdale in the Phoenix area. Uh, with no further ado, uh, let's do it. Heading out to the phone lines here, Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com, joining us on White Sox Weekly. Dan, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It is, uh, it's that time of year. The hot stove is, is quite hot. I wouldn't touch it. Uh, but it's your job to dabble in that kind of stuff. What do you know? What do you hear? Um, and, and I guess we'll start with this. The Houston Astros are, are somewhat of a linchpin in the catching market in that uh, now that they've traded for Brian McCann, Jason Castro is definitely going somewhere, and the White Sox have been connected to him through a bunch of different rumors. Yeah, it, that I mean, Castro is a guy that definitely would kind of fit the bill for the uh, the pitch framing defensive side of things. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I really wonder where they're going to go. I mean, they definitely need a catcher. It doesn't sound like Zach Collins is going to be a guy that they rush up, especially because they think that he can be an everyday catcher. So mm-hmm. with with that being the case, you know, there's a chance we thought maybe Zach Collins, as Rick Hahn said at the GM meetings, you know, a week and a half ago, the bat is ready. But if they want him to be a major league guy behind the plate every day and they think that he can be an everyday catcher, they're going to need to take some time with him. So obviously he's not the answer. Um, Omar Narvaez has had a good year, but it's clear they probably need a number one catcher. Um, It just really depends on if if that's the way they're headed, what they think their window is, you know, there's so many factors. It's funny because, because of the way they've kind of put it out there that potentially they're going to sell. You you don't even, I'm not even sure I've put as much thought into who will fill out the roster at this point just because you don't know who's going to be gone. Well, that's kind of the meat of this burger, right? I mean, that's and, and I asked about Castro first because I wanted to see if you think that there's any way that you can do both or, or that maybe even, and I wouldn't fault him for this at all, but, you know, Rick said at, at some points during the end of the season that as soon as we make our first move, you're going to know, you know, what our offseason looks like. Now, I, I think some of that is, and, and we've heard this phrase a lot, you know, campaign rhetoric, and that's okay, you know, something that he kind of threw out there. But if, if that's not what the market lets you do, or if you see Jason Castro as a guy that helps you regardless of which way you go, kind of like he, he talked about Ricky Renneria being a, a manager that helps you no matter which way you go, I, I just wonder if one move precludes another when it comes to Sale and Quintana later on down the line or this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because if you do make a move like that, how do, deep do you go? Because once you were to deal one of them, you would think, man, if you're tapping into that pitching, and, and they've talked about how much the pitching is their strength. If you tap into it at all, I mean, I, I think, you know, given what the farm system has ready to go, I think that kind of does preclude them from going. You know, I don't, I don't think you trade a sale and then still – can put together the rest of the roster and, and think to win this year because, as as Han has talked about, rebuilding on the fly is, or or trying to do things kind of halfway is not what they want to do. They they want to be committed, and and they've they've done that before and it hasn't worked to the point they want to. I, I it's a stall at least you know for us for them obviously they're they're operating business as usual. I'm sure they're 
know what way they're they're trying to go and, and trying to figure out how to fill in the rest of the roster because regardless of what way they go, they, they've got multiple holes that they do need to fill, and, and they're going to have to field something no matter what. So, I mean, a Castro makes sense just because of what he can bring them. Um, and, you know, but there, you know, I've seen rumors that multiple teams were interested. They're definitely going to have some, some uh, competition for him because he is one of the few guys that is capable more on the defensive side. The other guys that are out there a little bit more offensive minded or really just aren't great defenders at all. I think one of the guys talking with Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com here on White Sox Weekly. I think one of the guys that's uh, one of the teams rather that's kind of raised my eyebrow some has been the New York Yankees and and their rebuild on the fly process. I, I don't know quite else how to term it. Yeah, they've had you know a couple of prospects in the tank like Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge ready to go, and it certainly helped that Gary Sanchez mashed like forty home runs in about a week and a half. Like that that helps your rebuild process, but. I think a lot of people are wondering if returns for guys like Sale and or Quintana allow you to get the kind of things where, you know, Gliber Torres, who raked in the Arizona Fall League and will absolutely be up at some point this next season. You know, that's that's real quick, quick rebuild stuff, even with some pieces, some core pieces uh, that'll float you for the first couple months of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, they, they face a similar market with starting pitching this off season to what the Yankees had ahead of them in relief pitching in mm-hmm. July. And, and I talked to Brian Cashman about that at the GM meetings and, and he said, Hey, if you, if you have extra starting pitching and obviously the White Sox don't have extra starting pitching, but if they chose to tap into it, uh, it's the same idea, but he said, you're going to be the hunted. Your, your phone is not going to stop ringing. Teams are going to be calling and, and talking to you all day, every day, basically, if you're Rick Hahn, um, and, and that's the thing. I mean, they, they have a chance to kind of set the market and, and that would be a good way to expedite a rebuild because you will be able to get some of, you'll get guys that you want. You'll get some guys that are close to major league ready. I mean, there's no if, ands or buts about it. You, you really have to, you really have to strike and get a great return if you deal either of these guys just because of how good they are, how weak the market is, and how good their contracts are. Right. I mean, so basically, for them to go out and do this kind of thing, you know, you can probably get a quicker turnaround on your rebuild. I don't know that it would take three or four years because we're talking about an unprecedented talent class, talent pool that the White Sox could deal from. Another another executive at the GM meeting said that it reminded him of what the A's tried to do in 1976 when Charlie Finley wanted to beat free agency. He was really upset that a lot of his guys were going to become free agents. Huh. And so he tried to trade them all off. And we're talking like Reggie Jackson and uh, Raleigh Fingers and, and a bunch of great players that helped the A's win World Series titles. He made them all available. And, and obviously the White Sox uh, don't necessarily there, – there may be a Hall of Famer in the bunch or two, but, but at the same time, I mean, there, there's a lot of talent spread across that roster and you know, I mean, if they, they choose to tap into that, it could be very uh, quick on their rebuild if they, you know, depending on how deep they went. I guess I just wonder, I ran into uh, Jim Callis of uh, Baseball America down in, uh, mm-hmm. down in the Fall League when I was there. And in, in some of his conversations and even in some of his writing, he's kind of mused about how tough it's going to be. Not impossible by any stretch, but it's a tall task to trade Chris Sale or to trade Jose Quintana or to trade both. 
kind of because of what you alluded to, you got to win that deal. I mean, it, it you just right. you just have to knowing the talent that those guys are going to bring you back. And because of and and we've actually talked about this a lot. We uh, baseball philosophers or whatever have talked about it a lot with Mike Trout's value. Like, how do you possibly get fair return for a guy like Mike Trout who's signed to the money he's signed to, which is fairly reasonable given what his you know what his production is? How do you get fair value for Chris Sale at the age he is, knowing how darn good he is, and he doesn't make much money? It's it's almost like. And, and we've heard some people talk about this, too, whether they're unnamed GMs or whatever. They're asking for, and I think you reported this earlier in the season, exorbitant, I think, was the the, the word described for some of the, the, the askings from the White Sox side. But the GM also went on to say, but it should be exorbitant. It has to be. And there are only yeah. X amount of teams that can pay exorbitant. Exactly. And and that's the thing. Um, I mean, you, you look at, it is a difficult task to trade a guy like this. But the one thing that they have on their side is, you know, Rick Hahn's been talking to other teams because he always listens. He said he always picks up the phone, whether or not he's actually really thinking he's going to make a move or not. That That's really hardly ever been the case. But he always listens just to kind of gauge value of his players. And I think he has a pretty good idea of what Chris Sale is worth if he was to trade him. Uh, one team that was contending last year couldn't give up some of the players the White Sox wanted at the time thought that the White Sox ask for him was fair, and that was compared with other teams asking for uh, Matt Moore. Apparently Tampa Bay was asking outrageous sums for him. And, you know, I mean, I, I think the White Sox at least know, have a pretty good idea. Whether or not they can get it, we'll see. But but when you're talking about the fact that it is Chris Sale, uh, teams that need to get that pitcher to put them over the hump, basically, if, if they can afford it without killing the rest of their roster – you know, I mean, they know it's Chris Sale. It's, he's a five-time All-Star, and he's done extremely well in a in a hitter's ballpark for his entire career. Yeah. Man, if you could put him in a pitcher's ballpark or put him in a pitcher's ballpark in the National League, like, say, the Dodgers, that's a uh, really exciting proposition, I would think. I mean, it would be pretty cool to see him matched up on that same staff as, as Kershaw and get a sense to truly how good Chris Sale really is. I think we know he's a dominant force, but I think you give him a chance, take one of those hitters out of the lineup and put it in an even bigger ballpark, man, those numbers are going to creep down and get scary, you know, video game good because uh, that's just how good he is. So, yeah, it is difficult, but at the same time, you know, I think teams know if they're going to come after him, they should expect to pay an outrageous sum because that's just how good he is. Dan Hayes, CSNChicago.com. One more uh, quick one for you. Let's look around the league just a little bit. Uh, You mentioned the 76 A's and Finley trying to sell off everything he can. Do the Royals face a similar proposition knowing that, you know, their payroll is always going to be, you know, in that mid-market area and they're looking at a bunch of upcoming free agents after this next season. Kendris Morales already gone and in Toronto – do you think the Royals uh, have pieces that they can shake the market with some? I, I think so. I mean, it, you know, it would be better for them if Lorenzo Cain had been healthy the whole way this year. Sure. Um, it, it's tough to trade. His, his value took a little hit there. Um, Hosmer, you know, those those are guys that are going to have to make some decisions on upcoming. Um, and, and it's tough. I mean, it's a tough position to be in because they got so good so fast. And, and obviously those guys are nearing free agency and, 
you know, you have to kind of figure out you don't want to be the Phillies where you hang on to your guys for too long and then all of a sudden it blows up. So it, it, it's a tough spot for sure for the Royals to be in. And, and they could get some good talent back with some of their guys. Yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's uh, they're, they're an interesting case for sure. I mean, we, you look at Detroit and they're talking about rebuild because they've finally gotten to this point. And, uh, it, it takes, you know, it, it's tough to pull that trigger. I think Detroit's a good example of that. I'd love to talk about Detroit. We're running out of time, but I got to ask you just the last one. Maybe we do Detroit next time around or after they've made some moves. There's no reason for the Twins to hold on to Brian Dozier, right? I mean, they could capitalize on his market for sure. I mean, career year and and that kind of power at that position, you definitely can get some a lot back. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of think the same way. I think a move is, uh, is imminent there, and the and the Tigers are going to be interesting to watch. Dan, appreciate it. As always, you can find him on Twitter at CSN Hayes. You can find him online at CSNChicago.com. Dan Hayes, thanks again. All right, thanks for having me. You can join Chicago White Sox Charities for the holiday garage sale on Saturday, December 3rd at Guaranteed Rate Field. Take home a piece of White Sox history, including game-used equipment, jerseys, hats, and much more. Entrance to the garage sale is free. For more information, Visit WhiteSoxCharities.org. Big thanks to Dan Hayes, in Chicago, for joining us. You can find that interview on WLSAM.com slash White Sox, like you can find all the podcasts for the show. We'll talk about some of the things we talked about with you. If you like, 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You've got White Sox Weekly for another half hour here on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got you for another half hour this afternoon. Coming up, a conversation that Bulls play-by-play man Chuck Swirsky had with uh, Mr. Jerry Reinsdorf the other day. You heard it on the Bulls podcast, and uh, you'll hear it coming up here in a little bit. Jerry talks about the process of, of entering the ownership of the Chicago White Sox. A lot of cool old stories, uh, a lot of cool things to remember from from back in the day. Thought we'd bring it to you this afternoon. The most popular way to follow White Sox baseball is with MLB.com at bat. It is the number one app for live baseball. You get to enjoy live look-ins, highlights, game days, scores, stat casts, live radio broadcasts, and much, much more. Get MLB.com at bat on your favorite devices right now. Be a really good job to, a uh, really good idea to get those for uh, Christmas presents for people, you know, or, or maybe for yourself. Maybe you need a Christmas present for yourself and you can get yourself the MLB at bat app and a subscription for the entirety of the 2017 season. Wouldn't be a bad thing. So talking about a couple of different uh, news and notes, uh, cleanup kind of things the White Sox have had going on over the uh, over the last week or so. We talked about the guys added to the 40-man roster. In case you missed it, that's Adam Engel, Brad Goldberg, and Jacob May all being added to the 40-man from Class uh, AAA Charlotte. Brandon Brennan gets outrighted to Charlotte and off the 40-man roster to make room. Sox had uh, two empty spaces on that 40-man roster. They were at 38, added three, removed one. There you go. That's 40. There were some conversations uh, that I was having on on Twitter with some White Sox fans, and you can always follow us on Twitter at C1 McKnight, C, the number one McKnight, M-C-K-N-I-G-H-T, about whether the White Sox would look to add with the Rule 5 draft. Uh, They did so uh, just two years ago, three years ago, with uh, Adrian Nieto, uh, catcher. Of course, with the Rule 5 draft, you take a guy, you got to keep him on the 25-man roster for the entirety of the year. If you remove him from the 25-man, he is... Uh, I believe subject to waivers uh, after you after you try and remove him from the 25 man. So that is the drawback of, of picking a guy up through the rule five. 
there are sometimes guys who slip through the cracks. Maybe what it is, the Rule 5 draft and, and the 40-man roster protection is a way to try and keep teams from holding on to minor league talent for a, a bunch of minor league talents for a really long time and keeping, you know, maybe you had, and there are other things that it affects too, but maybe you have a system that's incredibly deep and now you've got some 27-year-old that you've been able to keep in the minor. You can't keep that guy in the minors forever. He's only got so many options. you got to add him to the 40. That's how that works. You, you, you kind of have to disperse some of the talent throughout other places. So every now and again, there are Rule 5 pickups that end up working out. You saw a guy in the World Series who was a Rule 5 guy. That was Hector Rondon, a reliever for the Chicago Cubs. There are others uh, who make names for themselves and play a little bit, uh, but it's it's fairly rare. So what teams usually do is take a couple of guys, you know, prospects whose uh, time is coming, whose clocks are going to start relatively soon or, or can developmentally and in the major leagues, their clocks can start relatively soon. They put those guys onto the 40-man and protect some of those guys, and uh, and it looks like Adam Engel, Brad Goldberg, and Jacob May are all uh, three of them in that kind of uh, area of concern. Talked about the minor league stabs as well. Mark Grodzolanik is your manager at AAA Charlotte. Willie Harris, uh, and there are others. You can find all of this on uh, on WhiteSox.com, on WLSAM.com slash White Sox, but all the, all the additions and changes to the minor league development system is there. Willie Harris managing Winston-Salem, the, uh, the A-team, for the White Sox should be a ton of fun. We we sat down and talked with who would we? Oh yeah, it was Willie Harris and Carl Everett. It was those two guys and me sitting down and, and hanging out at White Sox and a bunch of White Sox fans who were watching the whole thing happen. And I don't, I can't remember what started the conversation. I don't know how we got to this part of the conversation, but it turns out that Carl and and Willie would pretty normally like rap in the dugout while sitting on the bench and stuff, and just kind of freestyle and whatnot. So we, we came back from a commercial, and Carl was pretty much already laying down a beat. Carl was kind of the, the beat, and yeah, man. And and Willie was just kind of he was freestyling over the top of it. You can find that. I think you can find that on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. It's re- legitimately hysterical, uh, the two of them just kind of going off. So Willie's going to be a manager in the single A at the single-A level, Winston-Salem. Um, there are a couple of dates coming up here in the next few weeks as you uh, as you recover somewhat from your turkey coma uh, there are a couple of dates coming up for Major League Baseball and for the White Sox of uh, of import. December 1st, the CBA expires. So baseball and its union needs a, a new collective bargaining agreement for all uh, from, from all reports. It sounds like things are moving in that direction uh, and things should be all good and ready to roll. One of the things that I saw most recently that might be uh, a point of contention, or I shouldn't say that, but a, a, a potential for change, is adding a roster spot. So instead of a 25-man roster, teams may have a 26-man roster, which I think is a good thing. More players uh, gives more flexibility to managers. It's a long season. I think you've seen points during the season where you know you get that extra guy for the double header. Now in the in the previous CBA, that was a rule change just a little while ago. I think having 26 for the entirety of the year is a good thing. Now what's the give back? Right, the the union is going to get an extra player on each of the 30 teams. So what the giveback sounds like it may be, and, and these are according to multiple reports, is that the roster sizes could be limited in a, a couple of different ways. It doesn't look like they've narrowed down and picked one thing, but in a couple of different ways, roster sizes are going to be narrowed to like maybe 28 in September, which will be a good thing too for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one other thing that happened over the last week or so is Jose Abreu opted out of his contract and into arbitration. Don't worry, that sounds scarier than it is. Jose is still 
um, his rights are still retained by the White Sox for the next three seasons. He had guaranteed money coming to him per the deal that he signed coming out of Cuba a couple of years ago. But it also he also had the option to opt into arbitration and let that process determine his salary for the next three years as opposed to whatever guaranteed number that he and the Sox and his agency had agreed on for the next three seasons. So that guaranteed money goes away. He's now essentially a year-to-year arbitration guy just like uh, Todd Frazier, Brett Laurie, Javi Garcia, Miguel Gonzalez, Dan Jennings, Zach Putnam, and Jake Patrishka. Those are all arbitration-eligible guys coming up um, over the course of this winter. By December 2nd, the White Sox and every team in baseball who have arb-eligible guys, you have to tender your contracts by December 2nd. And I don't think any of those guys are in danger of being a non-tender, except perhaps, maybe, obviously, Garcia. It has been uh, floated around a little bit. We shall see. Uh, he's certainly still young, and, and, and the White Sox could use uh, as, as many functional players as you can possibly put onto a roster, so we'll have to look. Uh, December 5th through the 8th, the winter meetings just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., and then December 8th is the Rule 5 draft, which we talked about uh, just a little bit uh, prior to this. Um, in, in the Abreu thing, and I, and I want to bring this up real quickly here too, Jose Abreu's season, and I wrote this up on the website here in one of the latest blogs, and one's coming out too about some of the more of the infielder uh, positions for the White Sox as the offseason continues, kind of looking back and looking forward as to what's uh, what was what happened and what's coming. For Jose, you know, that, that 2016 season is always going to be, for me, a little bit of a head-scratcher and a little bit of a, a curious one in the way that it started with the first two months being uh, such an underproductive month for Jose Abreu and then coming back to what were essentially maybe a little bit shy in some of the power directions or power numbers, uh, but essentially career norms for Jose. And I think, you know, he was guaranteed uh, per the deal that he opted out of guaranteed to make something around $10.5 million for the coming season. I, I think he looks to improve that by about uh, 2 maybe $3 million. Look for him to be a right around the $13 million number. That's what his comps kind of look like. But a, a good decision for Jose Abreu, a good uh, business decision for Jose, and he stays as a member of the White Sox, too, for the next couple of years. You can add some White Sox fun to your next event. Schedule Southpaw for a birthday party, wedding, festival, school assembly, block party, or more. To have Southpaw visit you, call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com slash Southpaw. A conversation with White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf coming up next. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So we here at WLS AM 890 are happy to have, of course, White Sox broadcasts for you and love having the Bulls, too. Our first season there, and the Bulls are off to a pretty good start. Chuck Swirsky, who does the play-by-play for the organization, and uh, Steve Cashel, who does pre and post, and of course, Timeout Bulls, one of the podcasts covering the Bulls, uh, are partners of ours, friends of ours, and we get to uh, well, we get to steal some of the work every once in a while. Jerry Reinsdorf and Chuck Swirsky sat down and had a conversation about a lot of things, you know, with Jerry's induction into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, sat down and did somewhat of a retrospective, and this was on Timeout Bulls, driven by Lexus, and we certainly appreciate. Uh, them letting us use some of their good stuff. A conversation that Chuck and Jerry had about starting or getting into Major League Baseball and how his journey kind of went with the beginning of the White Sox. Some really cool stories here back in the day and and from the inception of uh, of Mr. Reinsdorf running this ball club uh, and leading up to a World Series title in 2005, of course. So I wanted you to take a listen and, and make, a, make a trip down memory lane with us. Here he is, uh, Chuck Swirsky, talking with Mr. Jerry Reinsdorf. So, Jerry, when when did it 
when did it hit you that say, you know what, I, I'm doing well in my profession, things are going smoothly, I, I want to kind of put my foot in the water a little bit and test the the temperature for a ball club? Well, the whole thing was an accident. Uh, 1975, I answered an ad in the Wall Street Journal, a fellow named John Alavisos, who had been a general manager for Ted Turner, and at that time was with the Red Sox. And Alavisos ran an ad uh, looking for limited partners to buy a team, uh, to invest with them to buy a team. So I contacted him, and his plan was to buy the Giants and move them to Toronto. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll invest with you. But that didn't happen. Giants ended up staying in San Francisco, and Toronto got an expansion team. And then the following year, uh, he, he called me and said uh, he was going to try to buy Cleveland Indians. So I said, okay, I'm in. That didn't work out. Then another year later, he, he, uh, he tried to buy the Mets, and that didn't work out. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm in the shower one day, just you know, daydreaming as I often do. And the thought occurred to me, why did I want to invest in a team that didn't play where I lived? Because in those days, there was no satellite coverage. Mm-hmm. I'd never get to see them play. And why did I want to be a passive investor? And a thought hit me that Bill Veck and his group had owned the White Sox for five years, and Beck was never known to be a long-term guy. He would he was in and out, in and out. And so through a uh, through a friend, I contacted him. And he said, "Yeah, he wanted to sell." And that's how the whole thing came about. So when you when you have the opportunity, you you, you put a deal together. You buy the White Sox. Did you all of a sudden wake up one morning and say, "What have I done?" Or was this something where you said, "Man, this is going to be great"? Well, I was very excited. Uh, you know, when we made the deal. The funny thing is that um, on the same day that we were approved, that Eddie Einhorn and I were approved by the American League, there was a sale approved by a group headed by, by Danny Kay to a guy named George Ardros. So Einhorn and I were approved first, and we were not, then allowed to sit in the room. And we're so happy. We're looking at each other. We're smiling. I remember saying, Daddy, can you believe we're in here? And then the first order of business after we got in was the approval of the sale of Mariners from Danny Kay to George Argos. And when that was approved, Danny Kay was so happy he was singing and dancing on the table, literally. And I turned to Eddie, I said, wait a minute, something's wrong here. We're happy to get in, and this guy's happy to get out. I mean, maybe we don't know what we're doing. And, of course, that first year, 1981, we were hit with a baseball player strike. We lost a lot of money in 81. We lost a lot of money in 82. And I, you know, it, it, it was looking like maybe we hadn't done the right thing. Maybe, maybe we had made a mistake. But uh, things started to turn around in 84 when we uh, won the Western Division Championship. What was the first order of business when you bought the ball club? First order of business was to call Howard Pizer and, and ask him if he would serve as a transition uh, team. You know, Reagan had just been elected president, and he, and he had a transition team. I know I had a business I was running, um, and, uh, and and Eddie had to disengage himself from his activities in New York. We needed somebody to come in, tell us what we had, and and and, and sort of be a transition. And Howard Pizer agreed to do that in 1981, and he never left. He's still here. So when you were in a in an owners meeting, when you first bought the ball club, did you just sit back and listen? Or did you roll up your sleeves because you had innovative and creative ideas? I don't think I spoke at, a, at an owner's meeting for a year. Um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine anybody entering into a new business world thinking he knows as much as the people are in it. So I just wanted to learn. I, 
I, I knew I didn't know much. I knew I, I knew I thought I knew a lot about baseball, but I didn't know anything about the business of baseball. And so it had to be at least a year before I spoke up. So what owners did you gravitate to, or really say, you know what, this guy has his act together? Well, of course, Bud Selig, uh, you know, uh, Edward Bennett Williams, mm-hmm. Baltimore, yeah. Baltimore, uh, John Fetcher, Fetcher in Detroit. I'd say those three guys that. Uh, that got close to right away, and then Fred Wilpon in New York because mm-hmm. we were both Brooklyn guys. Uh, and I would say, you know, most most of the owners who were in the game when I got in, I I got friendly with very fast. They were a great bunch of guys. What was it like dealing with Charlie Finley and George Steinbrenner? Well, Finley was gone. Finley left just before I got there, and and, and the Haas family and, and uh, bought him out, and and the president of the. The A's was was uh, Roy Eisenhardt, who was the son-in-law of Walter House, and Roy and I became extremely good friends. Uh, Steinbrenner was kind of interesting because uh, you know he was so bombastic, and uh, we had our run-ins, but we we ultimately became very very good friends. Well, like run-ins regarding players or trades or just baseball dealings. Well, we our first our first run-in was over Steve Kemp because. Uh, uh, Steve, we had traded for Steve Kemp at the end of the 81 season. He was a free agent after 82. And uh, we offered him a five-year contract at $300,000 a year. Uh, I, and I told George that that was it. We, we, you know, we were done at, at that. And um, the um, nobody, I'm sorry, they don't know what else is bidding. And George came along and bought a, and, and offered him double what we had offered him. <laughs> and, you know. So it, 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 it seemed to me that that, that was pretty that, that was dumb, and, and and it was driving the price of players up, and so uh, I had an outburst where I said something about uh, we ought to put a team in the Meadowlands and, and cut into his market, and then he he called Eddie and I the Cats and Jammer kids, and uh, uh, I forget something else, and then I, and then I and then Eddie asked me at the All Star game. Uh, party in 1983. How can you tell when George Steinbrenner is lying? And my answer was he moves his lips. And so <laughs> it was going pretty good there for a while. But somewhere along the line, we uh, it all changed and we became very, very good friends. You know, the '83 All Star Game, Jerry will without question be one of the best All Star Games ever. It was a who's who. You brought everyone in. It was spectacular. When you went down on the field and you saw Mays or DiMaggio and all these people, did you return to your days as a little boy and say, I can't believe I'm here? Yes. Uh, well, you know, there, there, there was a, a picture taken. I think we invited every Hall of Famer, living Hall of Famer, and every five-time All-Star. And the only living Hall of Famers that didn't show were Mays and Mantle, and I think that's because Bowie wouldn't let them because they were they had some Atlantic City gambling connections. And there was a uh, there was a picture. They all posed for a picture, and, uh, and somebody called me and asked me to get into the picture, and I wouldn't do it because I thought I didn't belong with those guys. Mm. Uh, Eddie Einhorn did take one with them, and I since regretted it. It would have been nice to have been in that picture, but I just I just felt I didn't belong with with, with these heroes of my youth, you know. With, George Sisler, I think, was still alive, uh, you know, and, and all of it, it was the players that were even went before when I started following baseball. Jerry, the '83 team, um, terrific ball club, losing to Baltimore, who went on to win the World Series that year over Philadelphia. 
when, when the ball club lost the playoff series, how long did it take you to recover? Or did you say, you know what, I just bought the ball club a few years ago. We're on the right track. We're going to be back here uh, over the next few years. we got a window. Or give me an idea what your mindset was post-83. Yeah, well, well, the day after we clinched, we clinched the division on September 17, 1983. The next day, we had a celebration on the field, and all the players were introduced. Eddie and I were introduced. And I remember standing next to Jerry Kuzman, and, and, and Kuzman said to me, enjoy the moment, they're few and far between. Uh, little did I know it would be 10 years before we'd get back to the postseason. Um, you know, 1984, we had basically the same team, but we added Tom Seaver. And... There was, you know, all we talked about all spring was who were we going to play in the playoffs, and we were we were far too cocky. Players were far too cocky, and we didn't make it. We 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 didn't make it, and it took us till 1993 to get back. But that that '83 team was was my favorite team. It's still my favorite team. The '83 club, yeah. not 2005. No, I'm look. Winning the World Series is the best. But as far as the guys were concerned, the people on that team. They, they were the best, and plus we were closer in age than them. I mean, you know, I was uh, in '83. I was uh, how old was I? I don't know, four, uh, 44 years old. Um, no, 47 years old. 47 years old, and you know, so I wasn't that far away from their age. But they just were a great bunch of guys. They had a lot of fun, and they were the veterans: uh, Greg Lozinski and uh, and uh, Jerry Kuzman uh, and Lamar Hoyt, and then young players like uh, uh, Britt Burns. And Ron Kittle was the rookie of the year. Greg Walker, it was just a great bunch of guys, and uh, they loved each other. They really did. They, they they really did enjoy each other. So that was my favorite team. That's White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf sitting down with Chuck Swirsky of the Bulls broadcast. Courtesy of Timeout Bulls, driven by Lexus, we certainly appreciate them uh, and their efforts in letting us uh, use the stuff. If you want to stay up on all things White Sox this offseason, be sure to follow the team on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And the Snapchat for all things White Sox related, like Sox Fest on sale dates and more. That does it for us this afternoon. We'll be back on White Sox Weekly next Saturday. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We won't talk to you until then. Thanks to Dan Hayes of CSNChicago.com. Thanks to Chuck Swirsky. Thanks to Mr. Jared Reinsdorf. I'm Connor McKnight. Our producer is Justin Basic. Have a great Saturday. We'll catch you next time for White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890.